Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Uh, This is found on page 2 of the Blue NIV uh, Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, please pick one up from that little table back there. You can even go get one right now if you forgot to get one and you want one to read out of. Uh, And you can also take it home if you don't have one. We want everyone to have uh, a Bible. And this is the most recent NIV edition. Let me read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The word of the Lord. Good evening. (laughs) Gonna get everything set up and go. Okay, we go. (laughs) Good evening. (laughs) Well, during the last couple of years that I spent in high school and the first couple of years of college, Uncle Sam would send me a couple of little invitations in the mail and this is what I used to get has anybody ever gotten one of those one of you yeah okay (laughs) well with this about every two or three months when I'd get one of these he would offer me an all expensive all expenses paid trip and um some of my friends would jump on this opportunity, and, but they would find out shortly that Vietnam was a pretty warm and humid place. Uh, most of the kids and guys that I hung around with in my neighborhood were of Canadian-French descent. And so we would spend a lot of our time and a lot of our weekends up in Montreal and Montreal was about a five-hour drive from where we live here and from here. And St. Catherine Street was the place of preference. Uh, but as I said, some of my friends opted to go over to Vietnam. Um, we enjoyed, some of us enjoyed partying up in Canada. But um, even though some of them were eager to go to Nam, I wanted to find out more about it. I had um, never heard of this place, and I wanted to know, wh- where was this place? Uh, uh, what, what were we doing there, and why? Why were we going to go there? Why, why was Uncle Sam so excited about getting me over there? You know, and... and um, and, and I wanted to know, what did these people do to me? What are they doing to us? That was the big question I had. And there were a lot of conflicting answers. And I'm still not sure what 
was really going on there. Uh, I have heard from some of my friends a lot of different stuff about what it was really about. But in the end, if Uncle Sam had not sent me all those little invitations, I would still not know where Vietnam is today. Well, in the same way, before I became a Christian, I didn't know much about Satan. And then within a short period of time, I found out that this Jesus that I had um, come to follow had an enemy. And his name was Satan. And he was out to destroy me. He was an enemy. If you're a believer, this same enemy is out to destroy you too. So what do we know about Satan? Well, at Cornerstone, we affirm the orthodox historical faith taught in the scriptures. Our beliefs are summarized in the following articles of faith, which we affirm. And if we start doing membership, which we probably will shortly, uh, this will be one of the things that we will affirm as people becoming members. And so, no, somehow that messed up on me. Okay, I don't know where that went. That um, Okay, there it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's hard to, hard to see it on the back there, but that is it. Okay, so this is what we believe as a church. We believe in the existence of Satan and the fallen angels, the adversaries of God and his people. Equipped Christians can successfully resist them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jonathan asked me to preach about Satan, my response was sure. I'm in contact with him every day. And the truth is, whether you know it or not, you're in contact with Satan every single day. Most people just go through their day not realizing that. And the purpose of this sermon is to make you aware of his schemes so that you're not as likely to fall prey to him. If you're a Christian, you're one of his prime targets. The name Satan means adversary. Ad adversary, I'm sorry, adversary. And Satan wants all of the praise and all of the honor that we give to God, he wants it for himself. And he wants to prevent you from praising God. And so today we're going to learn some about this adversary of God. But before we begin, let's, let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, we pray that you would help us to understand the battle that we face. We pray that you would help us to see how we are influenced by Satan and how much as believers we can resist him. I pray also, Lord, for your protection on these people before me. Amen. So what is the origin 
of Satan. Well, in Genesis 1.31, we find that God had just created the whole world and the whole universe. And he had made man, and he, he looked over everything that he had made, and he saw that it was good, and God declared that it was good. God said everything is good. But then by chapter 3 in Genesis, we see Satan in the form of a, Satan, uh, in the form of a serpent tempting Eve. And that's the scripture verse that we was read before the sermon. And it's believed that sometime between those events, between the creation of the world and the time that Satan came into the garden and tempted Eve, that somehow Satan had fallen and there was a disturbance in the heavens. And Satan and a band of angels left their place of following God. And they turned against God and became evil. And we find this taught in two places in the New Testament. And the first one is in 2 Peter 2.4, where it says, For God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but he sent them to hell, putting them into chains of darkness to be held for judgment. And then the second <clears throat> scripture is in Jude 6, where it says, The angels who do not keep their positions of authority, but abandon their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. And then in the Old Testament, there's an account that we find in Isaiah chapter 14 that most people believe describes Satan. And that's this account here. Where it says, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, listen to what he said. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the top of the clouds. I will make myself the most high. Look at that. I will make myself like the most high. I'm sorry. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Satan's desire was to be above God. His deepest sin was pride in the form of rebellion. That's what it was, pride in the form of rebellion. And you may think that this is a really bold, bold move, but it's not that uncommon. Satan, Satan wanted his throne above that of God's. And we see, if you read through the book of Mark in chapter 10, you see James and John in this sort of debate, and some of the other disciples, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They wanted to be the greatest. They wanted their throne. They, they were asking Jesus, which one of us can sit at your right, and which one 
of us can sit at your left. Now, sitting at the right and sitting at the left is just a little bit below this place of honor where God has. It's not a big jump from the left to the right to the throne. That's what they wanted. And a lot of us, that's kind of what we want in our lives, too. If you think about it, you'll see that's really our heart sometimes, is to be special. We want to be special. We want to be esteemed by others. Well, just as Satan tried to deceive Eve in the garden, he also tried to deceive Jesus in the desert. One of the things that you can know about Satan is he has only a few tricks. He uses the same tricks over and over. The same tricks that he used in the garden, he used uh, in the desert with Jesus. In Matthew uh, chapter 4, we find this account. And, 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 but Satan, who had success in the garden, wasn't going to have success in the desert. Jesus had come. He came to earth to take back what the enemy had, ta- had taken away. The enemy in, in the garden had taken a lot away from God's people. But Jesus came back to take, came to take it back. And this is why we call him our Savior and our Redeemer. He came to take back what we had lost. Luke 4 I'll get it. There we go. <laughs> Luke 4:18 said, and this is Jesus quoting from the book of Isaiah. He said, "The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free." Satan offered Jesus a chance to make himself the king on earth. That's what Satan was offering Jesus. Come, you can be king. Look at all of this. You can have all of this. All Jesus would have to do is worship him. That's all he'd have to do is worship him, and he could have the whole earth as his kingdom. Jesus responded, get away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus knew that at that time, for that period of time that he was going to be on earth, that he had come to serve. He had come to put himself under God. God had a plan for Jesus. And God also has plans for you. Think about the plan that God had for Jesus and what would have happened if he had buckled down under Satan. It's the same for you. Today, Satan's mission is to use all of his power to deceive you and to trick you. He does this with his lies. He's out to destroy you. But God has a plan for you as well. So both God and Satan have a plan for you. 
Satan would have you to believe that God is holding out on you. He would have you to believe that there's more to life than what God is offering you. You know the the good living that we talk about at church? Satan would have you to believe there's a whole lot more out there than what is here. It's the same trick he used on Eve in the garden and it's the same trick he used on Satan in the, um, I'm sorry, used on Jesus in the desert. This is one of the hard parts when you're talking about Satan and Jesus. You don't want to get them wrong because I know (laughs) I'll get called on it. I've done it once before and it never works out good. So if you hear something that sounds really weird, just change it in your head because that's it's not my intent. God is calling you to be a servant. Satan wants to offer you a high, price, a high place. That's what he wants to offer you. You can have this, you can have that. God is offering you the position of servanthood. This trick works most of the time with people. Most of us want high positions. Few of us want to serve. That's human nature. Satan knows it. He knows it well. But in God's kingdom, being a servant is the highest position of all. It's the one that Jesus took. You think of it, Jesus, if he became a member of this church, you'd probably elect him as your pastor, you know? But he would take on the position of a servant. He came to serve. That's what he did. Satan will entice you with sin and entice you to sin only to point out your sin to you after you've sinned. I can think of, um, I've heard of this children doing this. Oh, go and do that. Go and do that. Do you ever hear children do that? Like, go, go ahead. Go, go take that. Go do this. Go do that. And then as soon as you do it, they run, Mom, Mom, look what, look what he did. Look what he did. Satan does that same trick. It's a childish trick, but he constantly does that. He's constantly tempting you with stuff, and then as soon as you follow him into sin, he yells out to you, you can't be a Christian. Look at what you do. Look at who you are. How can you be a Christian? He says, you're a hypocrite. You shouldn't even go to church. So there he is. He tempts you into sin, And then he calls you a hypocrite, tells you you shouldn't even go to church. If I had $10 for every time I've heard from Satan, and you're a pastor, I used to say a dollar for every time, but inflation, you know, so uh, giving myself a little bit of a raise. I hope you'll allow that. (laughs) And as I said in the beginning, I was told when I decided to follow Jesus, that I had an enemy who was out to destroy me. His name was Satan. And for me now, I can see it very clearly. 
I understand he wants to destroy me. I understand he wants to destroy you too. He's really quick when someone first becomes a believer to go right at them. But then after that, if he doesn't get you right in the beginning, he just sort of gnaws away at you for the rest of your life. He hates God, and he can't stand it when you praise him, or when you're thinking about him, or when you're doing your Bible study, or when you worship him. As the father of lies, he will use temptations, doubt, guilt, fear, confusion, sickness, envy, pride, slander, or any other means to bring us down. His desire is to destroy you. It's important to remember that Satan is your enemy. He's at war with God. It's God's place that he wants. It's God that he wants. He doesn't want you. You're just a pawn in the battle. He doesn't really want to destroy you. He has no use for you. He just doesn't want to see you following God and giving praise to the, his enemy. In the next weeks, we'll be looking at how Satan worked in the garden, um, how, how Satan's work in the garden led to sin, which in turn led to death. And as I said, Jesus came to take back what the enemy had taken. And so God in his wisdom planned out a way to both save us from our sin and to destroy the power of Satan at the same time. It's crucial for us to understand this. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan was there and he may have been thinking, look, we got him. It looked like all was going well for Team Satan at that time. But when Jesus rose from the dead, Satan knew that he had been defeated. Sin would no longer have a grip on man. Death would no longer have a sting. There's a little illustration that I use at funerals sometimes because people are afraid of death. That's most people's biggest fear is, is death. And so there's a story of this woman who was driving in her car with her husband and they had the windows down and a bee flew into the car. And she was uh, allergic to bees and, you know, extremely afraid of bees. And so um, the bee was flying around and, and the woman was yelling, uh, you know, how people do. Um, you've all seen it. I know you have. And uh, so the, the husband, what he did is he went like that and he grabbed the bee in his hand. And then the woman calmed down and was so thankful that her husband had rescued her from this, you know, this monster. And um, so then after about 10 seconds, he opened his hand and he let it out. 
And she started screaming all over again. And so why did, why would you let, why did you do, why did you let it out? Why did you let it out? And he said, honey, look, look, look right here. Look, there's the stinger. The stinger is in my hand. The bee can't hurt you anymore. That's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He took the sting of death. Death can't hurt us anymore. He has power over it now. And that's, so that's an illustration, and I went off, so I'm going to have to look back to see where I am on my notes. Um, Okay. So, in spite of all of this, in spite of Satan losing the battle, he's still very active. The battle still goes on. He's lost the war, but he has not been willing to put down his sword. He's still after you. He's still after me. In James 4.7, we're told to resist the devil and that by doing so, he will flee from us. We do have the strength to resist him. But most of the time, we fall prey to him. We're not the best soldiers as sometimes we find ourselves fighting for the Lord, fighting for the cause of of Jesus. I remember, uh, and, and I've told most of you, this is where I became a Christian right here. I became a Jesus freak. I went out into the world and witnessed to everybody. Most of the time I was... We, we used to sing that song here, Onward Christian Soldiers, Marching As to War. I would sing that. I would go out into the world as a soldier. But then a lot of times, well, let's go back up and say some of times, I'd find myself in the enemy camp with the enemy. I'd find myself not in God's camp, but in sin. How many of you have been in the camp of the enemy? This is interactive, so you're going to have to... (laughs) Nobody? Okay, a few of you. The rest of you are in there now lying about it. (laughs) Just take a second and think of the worst sin you've committed in your lifetime. Think about it for a second. Think about that worst sin that you, and everybody has one. Think about it. As you think about it, can you hear Satan condemning you? Can you hear the thoughts of Satan telling you, "Ah, that wasn't really that good. You really shouldn't have done that. Look at you. Here you are, you're in church, and you have that baggage. You might not even belong here. Can anybody hear that sound? Satan tell them that from time to time? Jesus paid for that sin, and now there's no condemnation 
That sin is taken away. He paid the price for that sin. That's the good news of the gospel. And as I like to say, the good news is really good news. It's not just a little good news. The good news of the gospel is really, really good. Jesus paid the price for every one of your sins. He paid the price for your shame. You don't have to carry it anymore. You don't have to carry the guilt anymore. You don't have to carry the baggage from the past. If you follow him, no matter what your past was, he will make your future shine. He has a way of doing that. I've seen it over and over and over. And so, what will happen in the end? What's going to happen in the end? In the end, in spite of all of our sin and all of our sins, God's going to take us home to be with him. God has also prepared a place for Satan and his followers. Revelation 20.10 says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tortured day and night forever and ever. As I said from the beginning, I'm in contact with Satan every day. You are too. You need to understand that. He's not going to give you a free ride. He's out to destroy you. If you begin to understand this, you'll be able to, with the help of the Holy Spirit living in you, you'll be able to learn to resist him. You'll be able to tune out his voice when he condemns you. Because he is the, the one who will condemn you. He's not your best friend, no matter what he offers you. He'll offer you the whole world. You'll be able to put away the shame and be able to rejoice knowing that God fully loves you. And you'll be able to worship God knowing that God has the very best for you and not Satan. Don't be tricked by any offer that you receive, whether it comes from the telephone, through the mail, or however Satan delivers it to you. There is nothing greater than serving God and worshiping him. Thank you.